The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. from Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. If you'd like to join in the discussion, email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm or call into the program with your questions. Now, here's your host, Rev. Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth and recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. And thank you to all of you for listening today and joining us. We've got a great guest today, as usual. Our guest is Sandra M. Sandra has about 37 years almost. Her birthday's coming up, 37 years of sobriety. She's a unity minister. She has been a chemical dependency counselor, and she is also a mother and has things to share with us about that as well, about how recovery benefits the family and some of the things that happen in families where there has been the disease of alcoholism or addiction. And our topic today is a woman's heart. Sandra's going to be sharing with us about how women in recovery have a unique kind of courage and how it takes um, facing some challenges and also their big rich rewards for women that are in recovery. So I know that you're going to enjoy all that she has to share with us because she's had certainly a very uh, rich and abundant life and has lots of wisdom to share with us. She's been involved in her spiritual growth journey for these 37 years in a very conscious way, and you can just imagine that she's got things to share with us today. And again, we're so glad that you're here with us and glad that you're letting your recovery and your unity community know about Spirit of Recovery. We love having people out there that are listening and that are downloading our archives. We love broadcasting on the topic of recovery on Unity Online Radio, and we love hearing from you. We're glad to know that what we're doing here is touching your heart, that it's getting you thinking, and it's getting you looking at recovery in some new ways, and uh, we really cherish that. Every week, we do talk about topics that are important to the recovery community, and our guests are always people who are down to earth, who are knowledgeable and innovative. Our guests are always people who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people, and sometimes they're all three. We like to bring you practical information and lively discussions. We want you to be able to use everything that you're hearing here. We want it to get you thinking and invite you to uh, learn more about recovery. And if you are a person in recovery, hopefully that it will deepen and broaden what's happening for you as you work your program of recovery. Our program is a very welcoming place here at Spirit of Recovery. It's a recovery is a big tent, and so if you are somebody that's in recovery yourself from any kind of addiction, if you're a family member that's in recovery as a family member, or if you're a family member or friend of somebody that's got the disease of addiction, whether or not they're in recovery, or if you're simply somebody that wants to learn more about recovery, you're welcome here in our program, and we welcome you to participate in our discussions. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a unity minister and a trained addictions counselor. I'm also a person that has in my own circle of love and recovery and friendship many people with the disease of addiction. And about 30 years ago, those relationships uh, got me started on an active path of personal growth, recovery, and spiritual development. And my spiritual path is an integration of unity principles and recovery principles. It sure enriches my life and keeps me growing. So I'm loving the opportunity to be sharing with you on the topic of recovery. On every show, we do have a drawing and we give away a recovery book, and those are donated to us by the nonprofit Hazelden Foundation. You can find them on the web at www.hazelden.org. And our book that we're giving away today is the 24-hour-a-day book. And so we'd love to be able to give that to you. You can give us a call today during our show. Um, 
especially during the second and third segments. We're going to have you uh, call in with your comments or questions for my guest, Sandra. And the number there here is 888-558-6489 or 888-55-UNITY. I'm having some computer glitches today, so I apologize. I will not be able to take your emails today. Maybe it'll get fixed during the show. I'll let you know. But otherwise, do call in, and we'll put your name in for the drawing. Or we will, uh, or, or we'd be glad to entertain your questions or comments during the second or third segments of our show. So again, today my guest is Sandra M, and our topic is a woman's heart, and we'll talk about those unique challenges and rewards that are there for women in recovery. So, Sandra, welcome to the show today. Thank you for oh, joining us. Anna, thank you. It's such a joy to be with you, and I'm honored to be a guest on your program. Thanks. Well, I know you've got lots to, to share with us, so let's get to it. Um, would you tell us a little bit about uh, getting into recovery? It was almost 37 years ago. Times were different, especially for women with this disease of addiction. What was that like? Yeah, it's really, you know, I was thinking about this earlier today. It's so hard to think back of how times were in the 19, early 1970s as a, compared to today. I remember the last night I drank uh, going into a bar by myself for the first time ever, and that's just something women didn't do then. I don't know. That's probably not that unusual today. Um, and in that um, that last uh, uh, night of drinking, losing three hours in a blackout, um, which was my wake-up call, I've never regained that, the memory of those three hours so it was something that when I was hearing in uh, the treatment center that one of the symptoms of alcoholism was those kind of blackouts, I knew I had crossed the line. I think there was at that time, if not still today, um, quite a bit of stigma towards women uh, who were alcoholic, who had the illness, and uh, I don't know if that's as the same level of severity as it was then. Uh, like, it's okay for a man to drink, but certainly not for a woman, especially to drink to excess. Um, that was certainly true then. But I'm uh, just grateful that uh, doing it one day at a time, as we say, that I've been able to be close to celebrating that 37th year. Yeah, congratulations. That really is... Uh... I know it's an accomplishment of spirit. I know that it, it's spirit working through you and through lots of people that create that, that 37 years. It's inspiring. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. When you got into recovery, there were a few women already involved in the 12-step recovery that uh, helped you out. What was that like? How did they help you? And how many of them were there? Well, I remember when I went to treatment, and I did go to treatment just in Minnesota, just south of uh, Minneapolis, and how few the women were. It was probably oh, two men to every or two women to every ten men, and and the women that did come in were quite a bit older than I was, uh, at least twenty years, and so I was at that age of my recovery. Where I was younger, now we're seeing much earlier uh, intervention and people coming into t- treatment, especially women earlier. So I think that's a really good thing. Uh, so those women, for me, really kind of took on a mother role, and uh, especially as I went back into my community and uh, obtained sponsors. And I was guided uh, tremendously by a, two specific women, I remember, who each were probably about 20 years older. And it was through their, their guidance, especially in that first year, that um, I, I think the first year is so important in some of the habits and foundations that we set. And it was because of those two women I found the Unity Movement, which I credit greatly as part of my recovery. Mm-hmm. What was some of the advice that or help that those women gave you early on that changed things for you, that got you grounded? I think just always keeping first sobriety, that that was the most important thing and that it wasn't just not drinking or staying dry, that it was really being, learning to be content and live a life uh, without 
using that, or you found happiness and joy, and that was a gift I feel they gave me. Mm-hmm. And you say they introduced you to unity. Tell us about that. Yeah, it was about the time I was sober for a year, and uh, I had really walked away from my uh, church that I was had been raised in um, in my teen years, and hadn't really went back into re- any kind of religion. And at about a year of sobriety, my sponsor said, it's time to go to church. And she took me by the hand and guided me to a unity church, and I've been involved ever since because I think the 12-step program and the unity movement is just an incredible partnership uh, for spirituality, spiritual growth, and sobriety. Mm-hmm. What are the unity practices or principles that got you uh, going, that helped you so much? I think in the beginning, and it was even a technique I used to quit smoking uh, some years later, 1985, was just the very simplistic, I can't handle this, God can, I think I'll let him. Um, That worked for me in the beginning, it worked for me to quit smoking, it still works for me today, and... And the other step that's very important to me is the 11th step, um, thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, asking only for guidance of his will for us and the understanding. To, and I, it's like Charles Fillmore wrote that step. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or had something to do with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... What was that like for you? I, I, I imagine when you were active in the disease, when you were drinking, that you probably didn't feel close to God. I don't know. What, how did that change? Or what, how did your feeling about God and your relationship to God shift? Or what made that happen? How did it yeah, I don't think I ever had um, a connection to God or a feeling of spirit in my life. Until until I was sober, uh, even in my teen years when I was still involved with church, it was all very intellectual. It was in my head, and nothing that I ever felt. And so it was it was both, I think, finding sobriety and finding unity that really helped me get, to feel it in my heart, to have a feeling, uh, emotional level about spirituality. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the first time that you were ever aware of God's presence as a, an emotional reality rather than Oh, just it definitely happened for me um, in the early days in treatment um, once the fog lifted. Uh, within the first five days, I totally embraced the whole understanding of what they were trying to teach us about the disease and you know, seeing myself in all the symptoms and saying, oh, this is what's wrong with me. I just thought I was crazy. <laughs> and uh, so it was very helpful to have the, have that connection so early in treatment. I was there 35 days, and they actually had me doing 12-step work while I was in treatment. Part of the 12 steps is that fourth step inventory. Mm-hmm. Not, I'm not asking you to tell us what was on yours. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. We won't do that. But what was that like, doing that? was I don't know. I could imagine that that would be frightening or, or maybe bring up shame. or A lot of people get scared of that fourth step. They're like, no, I'm not doing that. What was that like for you? Well, in the beginning, I, you know, I, I'm one of those people that I really think I had to uh, do another fourth and fifth step later in recovery, I didn't really grasp a total understanding of it. Um, I remember um, one of the things I did divulge, which I don't have a problem sharing, was I was afraid of mice. That was my only fear. And then learning (laughs) like a year into recovery that my entire life was fear-based. You know, I had approached everything in life from a state of fear. So... You know, I think early on that maybe our understanding is so limited that it's, uh, for me, it was good to revisit that. Mm -hmm. 
So like later on you were able to do it in a, in a more in-depth way or you had more, probably right. had more emotional availability. Yeah, had, yeah, and had more understanding, I think. Right. Well, I know that uh, you in the early days uh, of when you got into recovery that uh, you were saying that alcohol was the primary or maybe the only uh, drug that you were using and that it's different today. How do you think that affects things or not? Or, or in some, sometimes even in, in previous year, days people used other things, but maybe it wasn't, people weren't so aware of that. How do you think that affected your recovery? I think because I was never introduced to um, street or illegal drugs and I was never introduced to prescription drugs, I'm really grateful for that because if I had been, I probably would have said yes to them. Um, I think where my problem was alcohol only, that for me that made recovery easier. Um, I'm not sure because I don't have the experience with the others, but as I watch people who um, are addicted to some of the drugs that just are so horrendous and how addictive they are, I must say I probably had as much as a harder time or harder with the addiction to uh, nicotine. Mm-hmm. That was di- really difficult for me to release. What propelled you into uh, releasing that nicotine addiction? When I couldn't breathe anymore. <laughs> I like to go out and hike in the woods, and I was having trouble with my breathing, and it was at that time where they were starting to cut back on the places where you could smoke and and just feeling, you know, there was so, it was so limited. I was uh, in the class, sitting in a classroom uh, most of the day as I was uh, back in school and couldn't smoke there, and so I thought, this is a, this is a good time to try to quit, and it was tough. It was hard, but I used those first three steps, and and today I'm grateful to say I'm also tobacco free. Yeah, that's great. It's really important. There's some research uh, out now that says that people that are tobacco free and nicotine free um, have uh, maybe a, a stronger uh, ability to stay sober off of alcohol or other drugs. It's interesting research. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I know that I've read where um, cigarettes contain sugar. Really? And so that when every time we smoke, it elevates the blood sugar level, and that's a piece of why it's so addictive, because if we have any challenges with blood sugar, which I do, then that elevating, you know, gives us a lift. And so I think for me that was part of my challenge with the getting off of nicotine, too. Sandra, thank you very much. It's time for a short break. Okay. You're giving us lots of uh, good things about women's recovery and telling us about what, what works for women and some of the challenges that women face. So when we come back, we'll start with the Serenity Minute, which is a brief moment to focus on a constructive thought. And then Sandra and I will continue talking about a woman's heart. Also, when we come back, please do call in at 888-55-UNITY. We'll be right back. Our goal at Unity Online Radio is to continue expanding our spiritual programming and growing our listening audience. To help us become an ever stronger voice in today's world, we ask for your support. Please visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you. Attention spirit seekers, have you seen the new Unity magazine? It has a bold, fresh look and is filled with content to support you on every step of your spiritual journey. Each bi-monthly issue of Unity magazine is read by people like you who are seeking answers to spiritual questions about relationships, meditation, divine potential, and more. Inside, you will find a wealth of news from the Unity Movement, inspirational articles, reviews on the latest spiritual books, and interviews with renowned spiritual teachers. 
To subscribe to Unity Magazine, go to www.unitymagazine.org. Unity Magazine is also available in most Unity Church bookstores. Join us as we discover the leading edge of Unity thought, expand our consciousness, and experience a greater oneness with Spirit. Someone once said that inspiration feeds the soul. Hi, I'm Jamie Sanders, host of Spirituality Today here on the Unity FM radio network. Each week, we bring you pure inspiration, empowerment, and insight. Join us as we talk with best-selling authors, celebrities, and some of the most dynamic teachers in new thought and motivation in the world today. Spirituality Today is Unity FM Spiritual Book Club and a whole lot more. Be sure to listen in and open up to the wonder and beauty of all that spirit is in and through you. Spirituality Today with Jamie Sanders, every Wednesday at noon Pacific Standard Time, 2 p.m. Central, 3 p.m. Eastern, right here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. If you'd like to join the discussion, please call us toll-free at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. We now return to the program. You're listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. If you'd like to share your questions, comments, and experience with today's topics, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're really glad that you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic is A Woman's Heart. And my guest is Sandy M. She's got almost 37 years of recovery in June. She'll be celebrating 37 years. And she is a unity minister and has lots of wisdom to share with us. She was talking with us about that special courage that it takes for women to recover and some of the unique challenges and the rich rewards that are there for women in recovery. But before Sandy and I continue our conversation, I invite you, our listeners, to join me as we take a moment to center ourselves in peace of mind in a constructive thought in our Serenity Minute. So I invite you to take a breath, to relax, and focus on this constructive idea. I open my heart... I trust my higher power's love for me. I open my heart. I trust my higher power's love for me. We let ourselves know the truth of that constructive idea. We take it to heart and let it be so. And thank all of you for joining me in the Serenity Minute. And now we're back with my guest, Sandy M., talking about a woman's heart. This is a great time to give us a call, and today I apologize, my email's down, so email won't work today. But give us a call at 888-55-UNITY. We'd love to have your comments or questions. Also, we'll put your name in for the drawing. Today, we're giving away the book, 24 Hours a Day, and this is donated to us to the, at the Spirit of Recovery by Hazelden Foundation, the nonprofit uh, Hazelden Foundation. So do give us a call at 888-55-UNITY with a comment or question or just to get your name in for the drawing for the 24-hour-a-day book. We thank Hazelden for donating those to us. So, Sandra, when yes. you got in recovery, you had a family. What was that like? How did uh, your recovery affect your family? Well, before I answer, I do want to thank you for your spirit moment. That was beautiful, Anna. I appreciate it. Uh, I think, and it's another thing that really leads to the illness and the addictions being so different for women, is just the data that's out there on uh, men who go into recovery and the wives who stick by their side compared to women who go into recovery and the husbands who leave. Um, It's really a pretty large difference in ratio. 
my family at the time of my uh, recovery, um, my children had to experience both parents dealing with the illness of alcoholism, which uh, resulted in a divorce uh, at the time that we I got into recovery and he went into recovery a couple years later. So it was uh, it's such a devastating illness that impacts families in just horrendous ways. I'm totally convinced and much of the research shows how it is hereditary and genetic and I have that in my family in generations past and and within uh, experience that within my children too. Um, so yeah, it just it really tears apart families and impacts every aspect of life. So while uh, it opened, my children at the time were just entering um, puberty. Uh, they were nine, twelve, and fourteen. Uh, so difficult ages if they'd been in a, a home with healthy parents and. And so we see those effects on them as they uh, grow up, although they are now um, actually nearing middle age. It's hard to say that, <laughs> which reminds me how the age I'm becoming. Um, but have watched them uh, deal with things in their lives in a healthier way than I was able to. So maybe the fact um, we have the experience of recovery is a, has been a help to them. Oh, I did have the sadness of losing my oldest son uh, last year to uh, addictions. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine that that would uh, be incredibly difficult. How have you, what tools have you used to deal with that and face the, that, the loss of your son? It, yeah, it was a huge uh, emotional impact on the family. I, I think the one thing that probably eased the pain somewhat was uh, he had been very estranged from family for years because of his illness, and so the there weren't real close relationships in later years. And then holding on to what I'd always heard in um, AA circles, that there are some who buy sobriety for others through their death. Uh, to addictions and that if no one ever died there would not be a reason for any of us to get sober and that really helped me in dealing uh, with his passing Um, also my unity uh, background was a huge help and the support I had from uh, my congregation I was really supported and loved through that experience Right. What would you say to parents who do lose a child to this disease? To feel the feelings. I think that's important to not uh, push them down or bury them, but to really feel the feelings and that are going on at the time and when they come, and because they'll come in the least expected moments, just like all grief. I think that's important. To hang on to that thought that well, perhaps someone will get sober because this person uh, has passed. Um, and I did was able to see that um, in my son's life and some of his friends who were pretty shaken with his death at 49 uh, and thinking how they might need to change their lifestyles. Right. So that's what you mean by some people buy recovery for others. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was that was helpful for me to to know that um, that that was um, the path that that he came here to take to, that he chose that path and and to not judge or have uh, bad feelings towards him for that. It's easy right. to it's easy to get into wanting to blame, and if we're talking about illness, we don't do blame with any other illness. So we shouldn't with addictions either. Mm-hmm. Without getting into too much detail of telling their story, how did his siblings uh, handle his death? I watched them probably deepen with their ability to share their feelings. Um, my youngest son, uh, for the first time, 
I heard the words, I love you, mm-hmm. and some attention um, towards parents that maybe hadn't been there before. <laughs> so, yeah, I, that first experience with our mortality, and that was probably what was happening for both of them. Uh, the first time that they'd had witnessed someone close to them um, dying, so that was a, something I noticed. So it's that paradox I, I often find in spiritual life and in, in the recovery life of where certainly I would never call a circumstance like his death good in any sense and, and, and the sense of that it's pleasant or that or anything like that, and yet such good can come out of it. Right. I, one of the greatest things I witnessed was his two daughters, who he'd really not been in their lives since they were very young. Uh, he did not support them financially or emotionally as they were growing up, and how they, in their early 20s, came to be by his side at his uh, time he was going through his... Um, his illness was his death was actually due to cancer, lung cancer, and how they taught me unconditional love and forgiveness. That was a huge um, gift that they gave this family as they rallied to his side when he hadn't really been there for them. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how recovery has a, such a ripple effect and. The fact that you and and I, and I know you said earlier that their dad also got into recovery. Maybe it was indirect, but I I believe that uh, that it was your recovery that that kicked the ball off for for healing in your whole family. How do you see that? Yeah, I like to think that. There's you know I, I've heard the uh, Native American uh, piece about we the healing we do is for seven generations past and seven ge- generations ahead of us. I like to hold on to that, that the work I do impacts both those behind me and in front of me. Right. It, it gives a bigger view of life, a bigger view of human community right. to see it that way. Right. Really, yeah. Well, we did have a caller. She, uh, Michelle from Kansas City, she called in. She's the winner of our book, 24 Hours a Day, and she just called in to say that she enjoys the show. And, Michelle, thanks for calling in, and we're so glad that you called in. And uh, know you're enjoying what Sandra has to say, and we'll get that 24-hour-a-day book to you. So thanks so much for calling in. Congratulations, Michelle. <laughs> you're a Unity minister. How did that happen? I know. It's uh, amazing. My, I have such an eclectic background, and... And looking back, I can see everything that I was experiencing through my life was preparing me for ministry. I'm sure other ministers have been able to see that. And when I was in treatment, like I said earlier, they actually had me doing 12-step work. They would come and get me whenever a woman was brought in. And so I knew when I left treatment, that I really wanted to work in the field. I, I think some of us, I know. Now, tell us had, what it means to do 12-step work. Everybody may not know what that means. Tell us oh, what that, that means. And that is part of how we stay sober, that we will, or we're willing to help and talk to those uh, who are needing help, who are still drinking. And so as they would bring a woman, especially, into the treatment center, they would come to get me to come and talk with them and, and while I'd said earlier that most of those women were about 20 years older at that time, I can remember many of them looking at me and saying, well, you don't look like an alcoholic. <laughs> but we all know that alcoholism doesn't have a look. It, it, it touches all. And I lost where my train of thought, where I was going with that. You were saying how they got you doing 12-step work and then you knew you were going to help people? Oh, so I knew I really wanted to work in the field because I I really enjoyed and felt, uh, really felt driven to give back because I really felt I was given a tremendous gift of this willingness to want to recover and do anything and everything that I was told I needed to do if I wanted to keep sobriety. 
And I really, I thought at that time that I probably had a lot of schooling ahead of me. And I was sober about a year and doing a lot in the AA community. There was an Internet group in the area and was offered a job as a coordinator of a pilot project uh, for drinking and driving in the state of Illinois. It was one of eight pilot projects. And so it was like my dream had come true <laughs> without me trying to have to figure out how I was going to make it happen. It was like spirit and God was guiding that. And so I went to work in that program, um, which still exists today. And I remember that time, and this era is like 70, 1975, and in the state of Illinois, during that time, we would go out and want to talk to police and judges about the problem of drinking and driving. And, and at that time, nobody wanted to talk to us about it. And so when you think of how far that issue has come today and uh, how the laws have changed and, and how rigid that is now compared to back then, um, I like to think maybe I was a little piece of uh, making change. Uh, it was the same time that Mothers Against Drunk Driving was just getting started. And so maybe those two things together with the drinking driving programs and Mothers Against Drunk Driving, we were all part of uh, actually making tremendous uh, change in what was going to be accepted by the society in regards to alcohol use and the results it can have when we get behind the wheel of a car. It's amazing to me how... The more people have gotten in the recovery process over time, how it has changed society in really right. important ways. But I know we were going to go to ministry, okay? Mm-hmm. And so my, I did work in that drinking driving program, and from there I was asked to go to work in a treatment center where I ran an aftercare program. And um, then I went on to have some very different eclectic things, including marketing and sales and publishing. And uh, along those time was my move to, to another state. And then back to school and in the classroom and did a degree in business and marketing. And it was when I was with the Unity Church in the area I am now that I started looking at the licensed teacher program and in taking classes for credit. I've always liked the classroom and enjoyed education. And I remember our first minister that we had here, when she was going to teach the first class, she said, you will take this for credit. And I said, no, I don't need that. <laughs> I, just want to, I just want to be in the class. And she said, no, you're taking it for credit. So I always tell her it's her fault <laughs> where I'm at today. But I did finish the licensed teacher program. It took me 10 years. And... At that time, our church locally was without leadership, and as a licensed teacher, you can take over as spiritual leader, and that went so well the first year that we applied for the field license program, which I completed in 2009, and at the time, that time was ordained. Uh, so that's how I got to ministry. Congratulations. And Thank it's you. Time for us. Yes, indeed. We've got to take a break right now. We appreciate what you're sharing with us. It's helping us a lot. And thank you uh, out there listening. Thanks for being with us today. We're glad you're here at The Spirit of Recovery. And when we come back, we'll talk some more to Sandra about the in-depth parts of her recovery. We'll be right back. Today I stand firmly in my faith. I meet life courageously and confidently, seeing beyond appearances to underlying good. Through faith I overcome every limitation. I know that God's power within me is greater than any situation I may have to meet or overcome. God is greater than any condition or circumstance. Through faith I am fearless and free. This inspirational message is brought to you by Daily Word. Daily Word. Inspiration. 
and practical teachings to help people of all faiths live healthy, prosperous, and meaningful lives. Give daily word to yourself or friend and give the gift of hope, joy, peace, and encouragement. Order your subscriptions today online at dailyword.com. Whether you love the Bible or hate it, turn to it daily or refuse to have it in your house, The Bible Alive! Exploring Your Spiritual Roadmap is a program designed just for you. Here on Unity FM, Unity Minister Rev. Ed Townley presents the Bible as a practical, powerful spiritual roadmap full of wisdom and guidance for the challenges of life today. A roadmap for your spiritual journey. Isn't that just what you are seeking? Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Central Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, for The Bible Alive, Exploring Your Spiritual Roadmap with Rev. Ed Townley, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. You can join the discussion now by calling us toll-free at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Now, back to the program. You've been listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D., If you have a question, comment, or experience with today's topic you'd like to share, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. Again, I'm really glad you're listening today. If you're just joining us, our topic is A Woman's Heart, and my guest is Sandy M. Sandy is going to celebrate in June 37 years in recovery. She is a unity minister. She has been a chemical dependency counselor and uh, helped start a pilot program in Illinois uh, about drinking and driving. And she's got lots of good wisdom to share with us. Today, don't email me because my computer's having a glitch, so that won't work. But do call us with a comment or question for Sandy. She'd love to respond to it. And the number to call is 888-558-6489. Or you can remember it as 888-5-U-N-I-T-Y. Please call in. We'd love to hear your comment or question for Sandy. She'd love to respond to it. So anytime is a great time to call in. And we do thank Michelle for calling in. And she won our 24-hour day book donated by Hazelden. So thank you, Michelle. So, Sandy, you have really done some in-depth work in your recovery you uh, have sobriety, you have uh, sobriety also from nicotine, and there was another issue that uh, is often an issue for women, and it's often an issue for women in recovery, whether it's women with the primary disease of chemical dependency, addiction, or as family members, and that is the issue of abuse, and you have really faced that and dealt with it. How's that enhanced your recovery to face that trauma? Yeah, the first time I really talked to anyone about some sexual abuse in childhood that I was aware of was when I was in treatment. And I remember asking the counselor if that was something I had to talk about in group. And he said only if I wanted to. And so I choose at that time not to and just did some one-on-one therapy and believing that, uh, that well, that issue was resolved. <laughs> um, as we all know, that it's very layered like an onion, and as you peel the uh, each layer back, um, some more feelings, some more depth come with it. And so over the years, um, probably about an average of every 10 years, I've found a need to do some more counseling, some more therapy, some more different kinds of uh, experiences to help deal with those feelings that uh, are can go so deep, um, and probably the most powerful thing in my recovery with the abuse issue was being able to confront my perpetrator. Uh, 
I, that day, felt a power I had never felt before. And, you know, our biggest fear is that the perpetrator is going to deny it and we will feel like a victim all over again. And he didn't, which I'm grateful for that. Um, so to me, that that was so important. And that's something I think that we can all do, whether our perpetrator is still living or deceased, because it's work we can do even though if they've already passed. So I encourage folks, to, especially women, to look at that. Mm-hmm. What, If you'd be willing to share, what other kinds of... Uh, help has been of benefit to you as you face trauma and different things work for different people we know that uh so what you did may not I really work for got them. yeah i really got a lot of help with uh different kinds of body work like massage and reiki and uh had one body person who actually did a a session of cutting cords she called psychic cords i found that very helpful uh, I went through two rebirthing experiences, and they were a huge part of uh, that, getting in touch with some of those uh, feelings, and that had went with the sexual abuse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How has the day-to-day quality of your life changed from working to resolve the trauma? Oh, I think just having an inner peace that was never there before, getting in touch with uh, this feeling of, I I call it power. It's like coming into my own. Um, It's so hard to put a word to it or define it. Um, And just a feeling of self-confidence that had never been there in my entire life. Uh, And I credit the work around the sexual abuse uh, for that. Mm-hmm. How has your spirituality been a part of the the abuse recovery? or has and, and has your relationship with higher power changed at all through dealing with the abuse? Uh, through journaling. Ju- journaling was a great tool for me, and I would journal with God. Um, we had lots of conversations. And I'm a very visual person, and I get a lot of visuals, a lot of signs uh, as I do that kind of spiritual work. Um, And so a deepening uh, in my understanding, a deepening of my faith, uh, a deepening of knowing that what is ever happening in my life is I'll be able to look back and say, wow, that was really good, even though at the time it might be feeling not so good, and that it was a powerful piece of helping me learn more about myself. So through the journaling, you were able to access communication with God. That was a tool. Correct. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you for sharing that with us. I know that um, abuse is a topic that's not comfortable to talk about or to hear about, and it's so important because um, if that's an experience that we have had, it impacts our lives and it makes such a difference to face it in whatever way works for us. So thank you. There is one little thing I'd like to share, and it just popped into my mind, so I know it's important and I found it really helpful. When I was in a therapy group when I was living in Texas for uh, a year, I went to... A group where they were doing sexual abuse issues, and uh, it kind of surprised me at the time that they were throwing people of all ages who'd had experiences with any kind of sexual abuse, whether it was incest or rape, and we were in a group together, and we were supposed to find some kind of doll or uh, stuffed critter that would represent our inner child. It was the time when inner child work was really big. And while I, at the time, wanted to kind of poo-poo it, I did go home, and I had bought a doll at a garage sale. And when I bought it, I thought, why am I buying this? And because uh, my children were grown, and there were not grandchildren in my life at that time. And I, but I thought about that doll, and I went and looked at it. And 
on the face, there was just a little indentation of a nose and two eyes, and there was no mouth. It was a cloth doll. And there were little black patent leather shoes sewn to the body. There were no legs. That doll became to me an image of what childhood abuse is because there's no mouth to speak out and no legs to run away. And so I had the doll made. I had an identical one made that had a mouth and had legs. And so I have my two old dolls that I've always wanted to take on the road to talk about uh, childhood sexual abuse, but it's a subject that still a lot of people don't want to hear about. And, but my the image of that doll just spoke volumes to me about what abuse is like as a child. Thank you for sharing that. That is what a powerful picture of yeah. transformation. I'm touched. I know. I know our listeners are touched. Thank you for sharing that. And I hope you do go on the road with those dolls. I hope you do it. Be Thanks. a powerful, powerful witness. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Anna. Yeah, really. Sandra, I know that for you, recovery and life is about getting out there in life and about uh, you value the 12-step program and you work it and also you have a, a world that is encompasses spirituality and living that's beyond that. How do you do it? Well, you know, I just I just find such joy in living and life, as, especially as I age and can get rid of all the worries about, uh, you know, the physical body. And I have my health, which I'm very grateful for, and I credit sobriety as part of that. I think the healthier things we can do to, for our bodies, the healthier we're going to be as we get older. Uh, I just really love what I'm doing. Um, you know, I, many of the things I'm doing now in ministry, if not all, were things I was doing before, and now they're paying me. <laughs> and it's like, well, I would do this work um, and not get paid, but we won't say that too long. <laughs> uh, so I do, and I find joy in watching people awaken to their spirituality, whether it's through recovery, through finding. And, you know, I I still think that those of us who were gifted with this illness of alcoholism, and I do do really believe that, that it's a gift we're given, and that we have been given the chance to awaken and to enlighten others and... It just brings me joy to be able to do that. That's fabulous. What's, we're getting near the end of our time here, but before we close, tell us what's a spiritual principle or practice that's really the close to your heart, the one that really grounds you. It's that 11th step, thought through prayer and meditation. It's a very much a part of my daily life. I've lived the last couple years without television or radio. I usually don't have any noise going on around me. Uh, So I really enjoy the silence. I think of Charles Fillmore a lot um, and his later years, how he would talk about sitting in the silence. They would accuse him of napping, and he'd say, no, he's meditating. (laughs) Um, So that's very much a part of my spiritual life and I am very active out in my community in trying to um, bring the unity message to all. We're very involved here with all the other faith communities in this town. And uh, I've said that we no longer are a stepchild here in, at the kids' table. We've joined the big kids at the big table. And so unity is considered um, with all the other faith traditions. And we do things uh, interfaith with the temple and the synagogue. So I'm really, um, I'm very grateful for that and believe I was a part of making that happen in this community. Sandra, you are a blessing and a gift and your congregation is so fortunate and I do know that they know that. And uh, all of us are fortunate. You shared with us some from your heart and powerful ideas. So I appreciate you blessing um, me and our listeners, and uh, thank you for 
thank you for your 37 years. Oh, thank you, Anna. It was a joy to be with you, and I, I am thankful that you've asked me to do this. Well, you are most welcome. And our listeners, thank you for listening, and uh, thank you for looking at our archives. Join us next Tuesday when our topic is the power of conscious contact. We'll be talking about prayer, and my guest is Charles G. Thank you so much for listening. Know that you're a blessing out there, and you're in my prayers. So let your heart sing with joy this week. God bless. Tuning in to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific for down-to-earth ideas on keeping spirituality in the heart of your recovery. Spirit of Recovery, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington, committed to bringing light to the soul online at www.soulmatters-spiritworks.org. The Unity Message is universal, uniting, empowering, and transformational. Carrying this message to the world with the power of music and song are scores of singers and songwriters who dedicate their extraordinary gifts to helping heal the world and spread the message of unity and oneness. These are the Messengers of Unity. We salute the Messengers of Unity, the voices of the one voice of all humanity, heroes with weapons of Song at a time. Tune in to Pazapalooza, Music That Matters, with host Richard McDesey to hear the music and the artists who are changing the world, one song at a time. Fridays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. Reverend Dr. Thomas Shepard shares this from his book, Good questions. We are here to learn, grow, experience, savor, exalt, cherish, create, and to use our connection with that mind to make safe decisions. We are here to share, to be fruitful, and to multiply the good over and over again. Centering on the divine within, we become still and realize that whatever happens, we are still one with God. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Does music open your heart and bring you peace and joy? Experience the sacredness of sound with Ramdesh Kaur as we travel the world of mantra, kundalini yoga, and devotional music. Join us for a journey into spirit, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern, on Spirit Voyage Radio with Ramdesh. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us, and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.